0: This is episode number 311 My Return to Racing and Having a Second Baby. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well being. And I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a rider, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. Today, I'm excited to have my husband, Matt, as my co-host, and we looked back in the podcast archives and... I realized it was February 4th was the last time, February 4th of 2022 was the last time that he and I both got on the mic together. We are currently sitting at about 9,800 feet in Breckenridge, Colorado in preparation for the six-day mountain bike stage race, the Breck Epic, which starts on August 14th. It's been fun to be in Colorado for several weeks, and a big reason for coming back here is because I wanted to reconnect with my community I lived in Boulder for about 9 years and I spent a lot of time racing in Colorado. And since I moved to Canada in 2014, I've been feeling more and more disconnected, and especially in the last 3 years when I wasn't able to travel as much and wasn't able to come back. It's been really nice to come back. So we've been in, we were in Boulder for about 9 days and then we went up to Steamboat and did a race up there, and now we are in Breckenridge. One of the biggest comments I get whenever I'm riding on the trail is, "Hey, nice wheels." And I love getting that comment because my wheels are bright and they are by industry nine. They are handmade in Asheville, North Carolina, which is a place that I love. It's a great hotspot for riding as well. And I'm rocking the ultralight two eighties, which are amazing for cross country riding and racing. The rims are carbon. And the cool thing about I nine is that you can custom design your wheels. So that's why people are always commenting on mine because I have multiple color spokes on my wheels. They're all bright colors industry nine has 11 different colors that you can choose from. And they also have 11 different colors you can choose from for your hubs. So while I have black hubs, and basically rainbow colored wheels, you can get any color hub. So I highly recommend going to their website industry 9com check out their Anno lab, go to industry 9com slash Anno a n o l a b, where you can build up your own wheel set and you can make the flashiest wheel set you can think of you can have gold spokes, you can have whatever you want. So definitely check it out. The wheels don't really look good, but they perform insanely well. I ride in British Columbia, which has arguably some of the most technical trails on the planet, and they stand up to the riding style that I have there. And they also are light, and you're able to put them in on your bike for a race like Breck Epic that I'm doing, where it's six days, tons of climbing, and I can rely on the wheels for my every need. So go to industry9.com and check them out. Today, I wanted to chronicle my return to racing. It has been two seasons that I skipped, two complete seasons. I last raced before this year in June 2019. I got pregnant with my son, Bradley, then, and I had raced January of 2019 to June of 2019. I had done the Cape Epic that year. I won the biggest cross-country race in British Columbia that year as well, the NIMBY 50, which that race is sadly no longer And I also won the 24 Hours in the Old Pueblo that I raced as a duo with Gordon Wadsworth. And that's a 24-hour mountain bike race in Tucson, Arizona. So it was a great year. And I was actually excited to take a break to be pregnant with my first child because I had been racing a lot for several years. But I wasn't expecting the hiatus to be so long because if you've listened to this podcast or you followed me, you're probably familiar with the fact that I took time off starting when I got pregnant with him, took time off from racing. That is, I was able to mountain bike throughout my entire pregnancy with him. I rode until the day before he was born. And then I was able to get back on my bike about 10 days after he was born. But he was born in March, 2020, March 15th, 2020, which was the day after COVID lockdown where I was living, the hospital lockdown while we were still in it. So needless to say, there was no racing in 2020 as everybody had experienced And then I live in Canada, so in 2021, last summer, the border was closed, so we couldn't leave, and then whenever we finally were allowed to leave, you basically had to quarantine in a hotel for two weeks and spend thousands of dollars, so it didn't make any sense for our family to go to any races, and a lot of my counterparts were racing in the U.S., and it was hard to not be a part of the action, so we decided that if we were going to have a second kid, we might as well try, because I wouldn't be able to race anyway, So again, I got pregnant again, and I continued to mountain bike through my second pregnancy until the day before my daughter was born, which was March 14th, 2022. There must be something in the water in June whenever I got pregnant both times. It's been really different being or having a a child outside of pandemic lockdown. It's been really fun to be able to travel for our daughter to be able to interface with lots of people. And in a lot of a lot of cases, our son is having a lot of first experiences, even though he is two years and almost five months old. So it's been fun to travel it has been good for our family. And we've been learning a lot. My first race back was supposed to be in June, but I had a wrist injury from basically taking care of kids. And my husband and I and I joke that kids injure you because he had a knee injury from taking care of kids, which you'll hear him talk about. But I basically had this tendinitis in my wrist. And I was looking at pictures of myself from when my son was a baby. And I saw kinesio tape in the same way on the same wrist. So I must have had that exact same wrist problem whenever I had my first child. So my wrist was hurting. I went mountain biking and I like riding trails with big rock slabs, and sometimes there's big compressions, so my wrist was sore, and I hit a compression, and it felt like I broke my wrist. And then after that, I had to walk my bike down this trail all the way to the bottom, and then I had to ride my bike home on the road with one hand, and I couldn't mountain bike for a month. So suffice to say, I didn't get to do the first couple of races back that I wanted to do because I was waiting for my wrist to heal to a point where I could race my bike again. The benefit of that was that I ended up training a lot on the gnarly dirt roads around my house, which I don't do a lot of dirt road riding, but there are some really steep logging roads in BC that take you to remote places very quickly. So that was pretty fun. And then my first race back was the High Cascades 100, which is a 100 mile mountain bike race in Bend, Oregon. And that was my first race back in three years. So I did race the 2019 season, but I missed the 2020 and 2021 season. And I wasn't planning on having such a big race as my first race back, but that's just how the cards fell. And I will talk about that with you in a little bit. So Matt and I have to share a microphone. I brought two microphones, but one of them, the cord I brought, for some reason, has a USB on the other end of it, which I didn't even know that I had. (laughs) So that is going to be our setup today. So here is Matt.
1: Hello, everybody. It feels like I'm being interviewed. Just put the mic in my face and I get to talk.
0: (laughs) That's right. I'm like a reporter with my microphone. So first, we want to talk about our experience having a second child because it's a big decision to go from one to two, and your life changes even more dramatically whenever you go from one to two. So, Matt, so far, what has it been like for you from a time management standpoint? and and just from a life management standpoint, having two kids?
1: Uh, I think it's been a lot more demanding, definitely. There's been a lot of big changes in our family outside of having the second child. So, Uh, I moved most of my work virtually, so I commute to Kelowna from Squamish, and I go one week a month to Kelowna, and then I do all the rest of my work remotely. So that was a big change as well. So there's a few things that that changed around the time that that Brooke was born that have changed the way that that my time management goes. And then also, Brooke, as a little baby, as a newborn, had some challenges around sleep and, and a bunch of different things that Bradley didn't have. So the two kids are very different. And I think initially, certainly the first six weeks were, were pretty intense. Uh, and even into the first three and four months, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of, you know, every single second counts and you get really good at prioritizing and you get really good at being efficient and you get really good at working as a team. Like one of the things I've enjoyed is is sitting down and we kind of like, you know, look at your day and, hey, okay, Sonia and I will talk, what went well, what didn't go well, how can we get better at this and what would be more efficient if we what if we tried this and try that? So... In a lot of ways, it's been fun, but also a lot of uh, a lot of a challenge or a big challenge along the way.
0: Yeah. Brooke had a lot of gas pain early on. So she would, even though she would be sleeping, she'd be making tons of noise. And we did all the things that everybody suggested. We tried probiotics. We tried massaging her, her tummy. We tried pumping her legs. What else did we try?
1: Massage and doctor, all kinds of different doctors and
0: yeah, we, we went to an osteopath and that seemed to really help with her gas pain, but we would have to keep going in order for it to get better. So that helped us, but it was hard because we didn't get a lot of sleep. And whenever you have a kid already, especially a two-year-old, and then you're not sleeping <laughs> when, when you have a newborn, it just makes life feel a little bit harder. So that was a challenge that we had that we got through. And fortunately, she has outgrown the gas pain stage. And for the sleep training piece, we were using the Taking Care of Babies and the Baby Whisperer Tracy Hogg book, which we use with Bradley. And you can go back and search motherhood series. I did a whole motherhood series when he was born once a month. But that, that was working, but it didn't work quite as well because every kid is different. And fortunately, now she is putting herself to sleep. She's sleeping mostly pretty well. Um but that just started and she's almost 5 months old. So it's been really different this time around with the sleep. But for us going back to the value of consistency, we've been we've done our best to stay as consistent as possible and even though there's been some wiggling around in there, it seemed to pay off.
1: Absolutely. I think that the process was really effective, but every kid being so different, Brooke just didn't take to it the same way Bradley did and we adjusted the best we could and we just had to give her the time to to be old enough to do the things that we want her to do. And now that that's happening, it does feel like you have all this extra time. And it might only be an hour or two extra a day, but it just, it seems so luxurious to have both kids in bed, down easily, have time for one another. It's, it's been really great, actually.
0: And that And that just kind of started, like, I think she just started sleeping through the night about two weeks ago, where it was consistently sleeping through the night, not the one-off night where she would sleep through the night. And she had a pretty hard four month sleep regression, which is also normal, but our son Bradley never had that. And that brings us to talking about my first race back, the high Cascades 100, because this four month regression coincided with this first trip that we took and with this race. And that made things even more challenging. Another thing that we're trying to figure out is how to optimize traveling with two kids, how to do road trips, all the stuff that you need. Because again, we didn't really do a ton of road trips or travel. We just would go back and forth to Squamish when Bradley was little. And really, the High Cascades 100 was our first big race trip as a family. So there was a lot of things that we were trying to figure out. We took two days to drive down to Bend, Oregon. It was a nine-hour drive on paper. But whenever you have two little ones, it, is, it takes a lot more time, we found. So we planned to take two days to drive and the drive was was pretty hard because Brooke would get upset and babies just i find that babies just don't like road trips <laughs> and she would just be crying and there would be nothing we could do we couldn't stop every 10 minutes to try to make her feel better so we had to learn how to get comfortable hearing some crying and stopping a lot more than we wanted to stop we budgeted to stay in a suite we we initially had looked at airbnb so that we could have a lot more space But it didn't make any sense because we only had one car and then the race started at 5.30 in the morning. So it didn't make sense for me to drive the car to the race start in the dark and then Matt would be stuck all day without a car and I didn't want him to be stranded that way. So we ended up staying at the race hotel, which was across from the start finish and that made logistics a lot easier. And we planned and budgeted to have a suite. So it was supposed to be a one bedroom suite so that we could have one kid sleeping in the main room and then one kid sleeping with us in our room. And we've been learning through hotel stays that... A lot of hotels, when it says suite, that doesn't mean that there's an actual bedroom door that closes. And we've seen varying degrees of what suite means. So for us, something that we check on now whenever we stay in a hotel is finding or trying to see if there's like a hinge that we can see in a picture <laughs> whenever we're online or just calling the hotel and making sure that a door closes.
1: And even if there's an operational kitchen, a lot of times it'll say suite with kitchen or kitchenette, but that is very, that's not standardized. There's Sometimes it's just a mini fridge and a bit of a microwave, and sometimes it's a fully, you know, functional suite with full kitchen. So, and again, on at least from what we've been able to find, there's no good resource to tell you the differences between each property. So, it, it, yeah, you have to get good at looking at pictures and then calling the property and figuring it out. And the difference is massive. Not having that suite in Bend was really it made it a challenge because that meant no one slept. So Brooke didn't sleep well because she was going through this regression. Bradley couldn't sleep because Brooke couldn't sleep. And then, of course, Sonia is not sleeping and she's got a big race. And yeah, and then because of the food, because the kitchen was not a kitchenette, it was just like a microwave and a, and a little bar fridge. We weren't able to we – have, we have a breakfast routine down for the kids, but also for us for race day. And, and food is usually pretty easy. We have lots of snacks. We've figured, we figured all that stuff out. But with no ability to make anything, all of a sudden food became this massive issue because we had to pack everyone up, get into a car, try and figure out where to go to get food. And so time, again, being so precious, just got burned by driving around, trying to figure out food, getting back. And Sonia will fill everyone in on the, the pre-race sort of shenanigan rather than the pre-race routine that we had the day before. But it was something.
0: Yes, so it's a it's a challenge and we're we're figuring out how to navigate this and those of you who have gone to races or just gone on trips with kids are probably laughing right now because you've gone through some version of this. One of the interesting things about traveling with kids is that it's just different than it used to be because you have to take care of the kids. You you can't go out and do all the things that you used to do or once the kids are in bed you have to stay in the hotel or your Airbnb because you have to be there with them. So it just changes. It's kind of like doing your same routine, but you're just doing it in a different location. And at first I was a little bit kind of disgruntled by the whole thing. And I was wishing that things were different, but then I realized that I just had to reshift my expectations and say that, Hey, like if I go do one thing with the family, if we go do one thing as a family, then that's awesome. And it's a different, it's a different environment. It's a change of scenery for everybody. And especially for Bradley, we've noticed that he's really been blossoming, blossoming (laughs) a lot whenever we continually change his environment and expose him to different things and it, he's actually been really enjoying all of the travel.
1: He was a really reserved kid and I think a lot of it was the the first time he had anyone come into our home because he was born literally on lockdown day. So he was born in the morning and by that evening in the hospital they locked the hospital down. So he, my mom lives in town and she saw him the day he was born and then we didn't have her, even her come by for 3 months because we were just terrified of COVID and it couldn't get on your mail and could it get on anything like, and there's no vaccines and oh my gosh, what's happening. And so he literally saw no one for three months. And then he would see, start seeing my mom cause she would be in town and she would come over and help us out, which was wonderful. And the first time someone that wasn't my mom came in the house might've been, he might've been four or five months old and they came in to drop something off or something like that. And he just started to cry like, oh my gosh, there's some, someone, this person who I've never seen before in my house. And so he never had any exposure to, uh, you know, people of any kind. So he, in the last six months or so, has been getting more and more opportunity as as we feel more comfortable. But these travel, the trips that we've been able to go on have been huge for him. So he now, will, we were downstairs in the lobby of our place here, and there was a fellow kind of tucked away on his computer, sitting at a table way off in the side of the lobby. And, you know, of course, Bradley, like a normal little kid, just walks right up crawls up in the chair in front of the guy and just starts talking to him. <laughs> this guy just sort of looks up and goes, Oh, why? Oh, that would have never happened six months ago. Bradley would have been sort of stuck to one of our legs and just sort of looking around and taking things in. So it's, it's been really nice to see him change and grow.
0: So something that I've been learning with traveling with two little kids and having a race on the horizon is that number one, you don't really have time to think about the race as much so in some ways, as a professional athlete, it can be a detriment, but it can also be a benefit. So it's a benefit because it takes the pressure off a little bit because you can't spend time overthinking about the race. You can't be fixated on the race. But at the same time, it can be really difficult because I have a lot of pre-race routines and things that I like to do the day before the race to prep my bike and prep all the things that I need and the morning of. But then I can't really do that in the same way because I have to also take care of two little people and, and one of them, I'm the food source. <laughs> My body is literally the food source. So it can be really challenging in that way. So I've had to learn, we, we call it being in four-wheel drive mode. You just do it. It's it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect. It's not even going to be what you hoped in most cases. But you just do it. You just go in four-wheel drive and you just keep moving forward. And I, I think that stage racing in a lot of different countries has already help me more than maybe somebody else that hasn't had those experiences. Cause when you're racing in North America, there's a lot of things under your control, but whenever you're doing a stage race and you're in the middle of nowhere and you're at the mercy of the race, there's lots of things that happen that you can't control. Like sometimes the the food isn't what you thought or the morning you're not sleeping where you thought, or like there's so many, yeah, your bike's not there. There's just so many stories that we have that we won't share today just lots of things that have happened in the past that have helped us be ready for today whenever things aren't exactly how we're expecting them to go before the race. So for the High Cascades 100, I did a little pre-ride the day before the race, and it's I rode my bike for an hour, and Matt maybe went for a one-hour run, and the entire day just felt so incredibly stressful. And I'm not saying this to complain or to make excuses, it's just I want to share the true experience of what it's like. To race because on social media it might look like oh it's so easy and it's so great but it's hard <laughs> so the day before the race I'm I'm driving to go pre-ride and honestly I got really emotional because it was my first race back and it meant so much to me because I had just been for three years on my own in Canada showing up six days a week pregnant twice during the you know pregnant for 20 months of this period having, you know, newborns and breastfeeding and having hormonal issues and all these things. And I just kept showing up, waiting for this day to come where I could finally go back out there and join my community again and to challenge myself. So just all of that came rushing back. And I just, I, I wasn't like bawling in the car, but I was just tearing up and I just couldn't stop crying because I, I, I've been through a lot. <laughs> There's been so many days where I've wanted to give up and just say, I'm not going to do this anymore. This is too hard or nobody cares what I'm doing because I'm, you know, I'm I'm in Canada and there's no, there's no one around. I've gained some sponsors, but I've lost a lot more sponsors than I've gained. I've lost thousands of social media followers. Like it's been hard. And to be able to push through that and to have the resilience and to bounce back from that, and then to be in Bend, Oregon, again, ready to do my first race back after all of that just meant so much to me. And regardless of what the outcome of the race was, it was just a pure celebration to be on that start line again, because everything was not in my favor to be on that start line again. And I'm saying that with a smile and I'm still so excited to the Breck Epic will be my third. Well, I don't want to call it a race because it's a six day race. It'll be my, my third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth race back. (laughs) But it just meant so much to me to be back out there again. And in some ways that alleviated the pressure, but it also was hard because the day before the race, It just seemed like I didn't have any time to do anything. So like, I didn't have time to clean my bike. And it was late at night. And I was still just trying to get things ready for because 100 mile mountain bike race, there's a lot of logistics. And Matt mentioned the food. And this is the only time this has ever happened. But we had to order food out and we ordered it to go and it took them over an hour to deliver the food to us, even though they said it would be 20 minutes. And then by the time I got home, we had to like put the kids to bed and the kids went to bed late. And then I had to eat dinner late and I had to get up at four o'clock in the morning for the race. So it was just this like really stressful day when it shouldn't have been stressful at all. So we learned a lot from that. And then because we were in this hotel and I'm, uh, I posted a picture online of the bathroom because that's where I hung out in the morning of, I had everything in the bathroom ready because that was the only place where I could turn on the light without waking a two-year-old and a baby up at four o'clock in the morning for this race. So I was eating my, you know, eating toast in there. And it's like kind of weird because the toilet's in the same room and trying to drink a coffee that Matt actually made the coffee for me the night before. So I just drank this cold coffee (laughs) and I had only gotten five hours of sleep and the baby was up constantly because it was her four month sleep regression and making all this noise. And then I looked at my whoop score and I take those with a grain of salt because there's been lots of days where I've quote been in the red where it says, you know, you probably shouldn't, you should probably shouldn't train. And it's all based on your heart rate variability and your resting heart rate. But the morning of the high Cascades 100, my recovery score was 1%. Yes, it had, I had an elevated respiratory rate and I was like, oh my gosh, do I have COVID? Like what's happening here? But I just said, you know what? who cares? I'm just going to go out and give her and see what happens. And I can't go off of what this thing says, because there's been lots of times that it's been wrong. But I just thought it was ironic that it was a 1% recovery score, because I've never seen anything below even 30% on there.
1: Yeah, the, the numbers sometimes are, are your best friend, and sometimes they're your worst enemy. Because if you're not feeling well, and you look at that number, and it confirms that, oh, my gosh, I did not recover, and I'm not well prepared. And then you so you, that can get into your head. So I think uh, you know Sonya does a good job of sort of being curious about it rather than you know seeing that as a validation of anything. So yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me based on the night before. Just you know, generally speaking, if you have an early day racing, you want to eat early, you want to get all these things done and get to bed early. And it was just the exact opposite. You're eating at like eight and nine o'clock at night and cleaning your bike and getting everything done, and then yeah, just no sleep and. And again, even like the stress of the feeding for kids. And again, Brooke was having some struggles around breastfeeding as well. So not only is there no sleep happening, there's challenges around feeding. And yeah. And Sonia has to physically deal with a lot of the the, the this stuff. So it's not like I can step in and say, Oh, it's race day, no problem, I'll take care of this. It's it's something that Sonia has to do. So it was it was really interesting, but Again, Sonia went to the start line and just went out and had a good time and, and enjoyed being there and, and had a, you know, a solid race and, and learned a lot. I mean, a, a lot of it is, you know, some of it is Sonia's never been, she's never lived at sea level before and going to places that even aren't really that high, all of a sudden feel high. So going to four or 5,000 feet when you're coming from zero is a big change where her entire life she's lived at 5,000 feet. So just even handling little things like that, when you throw this in with, everything else that goes on it's just one more metric to think about and and try and deal with but again it's it's a fun puzzle it's not a detriment and it's not a, a an excuse in any way but it's just one more input yes
0: yeah, so i rolled to the start line the race started at 5:30 and it was fun it was one of the most chill race starts that i've ever had and The person, the woman that won the 24-hour world championships this year, 2022, Chelsea Magnus was there, and I won that race in 2015, the world championship for 24-hour racing, so it was really cool to get to meet her and to race next to her, and there was just a high caliber of female racers there that I would get to ride with and race against. So you might be wondering what my expectations were, because most of the time when I would show up to 100-milers, I'd be number one racing to win, and then a lot of times I would actually end up winning a lot of 100-milers, so I thought what's an expectation for me? Should I be going out trying to win the race? Should I just be out there and ride the race and see what happens? Because it had been so long since I had raced. I had really good training and preparation for the last couple of months leading up to this race. And it was really fun to do that work and to have the ability to do that work. It's a gift to be able to do intervals. It's a a privilege to be able to go push your body hard because lots of things can happen. Like I mentioned hormonal things at the beginning of this podcast. And when Bradley was about five months old, it was like my entire body just shut down on me. And I spent six months just really struggling with energy. All of my blood work, all my inside tracker blood tests showed everything being fantastic. So it's like, what is going on here? And we realized it was due to calories. And I think it was low energy availability, which you've heard, I I recorded a podcast about that with the Stanford faster team, Emily Krause and Megan Roach. And you should listen to that if you're curious you need body fat to have your hormones regulated properly. And I think that I just got too thin and I wasn't trying to, it was just from breastfeeding and from training. So this time around we're being really diligent and Matt is being, <laughs> I, I don't want to say annoying, but he's really like always on my case to make sure that I'm like force feeding myself all of this food to make sure that I don't have this happen again. And it's hard. And I really, but I also really appreciate it. So when Bradley was five months old, I wasn't able to train hard for about six months. And I also chronicled that in this podcast, if you want to go back and listen to the motherhood series. So being able to go out and push my body is something that I, and and after being pregnant twice too, that's something that is such a privilege. It's something that I get a little bit nervous about because it hurts, but I also get so excited about too. My expectation for the race was just to go out and do my best and The numbers that I was seeing in my training was encouraging and telling me that I could go out and try to race for the win and racing and doing your best can be different on any given day. Whenever you get five hours of sleep and have a 1% recovery score and all these different things like your best that day might be different than your best on another day where maybe you don't have any kids and you got nine hours of sleep and everything was totally different. So you just have to show up and do your best and be okay with that and not compare to a different set of circumstances, which are maybe no longer available to you. It was also at uh, the race. I think it topped out at maybe 6,500 feet and I could definitely feel the altitude as Matt was saying. So I started off the race and I thought, yeah, like I actually feel good. I'm going to push, I'm going to push the pace. I'm going to go to the front. And I was leading the race for a while but i just realized that it wasn't going to be sustainable riding that hard because i was breathing really hard from the altitude and i hundred mile race you got to ask yourself at the start like can i go this hard for 8 hours or 9 hours or however long this race is going to take and the answer was no so i backed way off i also wasn't sure exactly how to manage my calories because at altitude you need more carbohydrate and then breastfeeding you need more calories because i'm still making milk while i'm racing my bike so how do i manage that so that was a variable that I didn't really know the answer to, and I'm still not really sure what the answer to that question is. But long story short, I backed way off on my pace and I was basically just riding. I was riding along and it was weird because normally I'm used to pushing myself super hard in a hundred mile race. And I actually had fun. I got to look around more. I got to talk to all the people around me. And that was one of the primary reasons I missed racing was that you can go out and train all day long. You can go push yourself. You can go do FKTs. You can do all these different things but the community piece cannot be manufactured. You have to go out and do an event in order to get that. And that meant more to me than any results. And it was just so much fun to be around people again, racing my bike. And that made it fun. And what do you know, by um, later in the race, I started feeling better and better as time went on. And I ended up getting third overall in the race. So I was proud of that result. And of course, I always wish for more and everybody always wishes for more because if you're competitive, (laughs) that's what you do. But I was really proud of my performance. I don't think I could have gotten much more out of myself. It was weird again, to not be racing a hundred miler, to be more of riding a hundred miler, but who I was on that day where I showed up, the circumstances that got me to the start line that day, that was the best that I had. And I'm standing by that. And that's why you keep racing to give yourself another chance to show up and do your best. And Maybe that best will be better next time, or maybe it won't be, but it's, it's reminding yourself that that's not the only reason that you're out there. So yeah, the race was for me, I think my time was like eight hours and 40 minutes or eight hours and 50 minutes. I don't really remember, but that's a long time. And a question you might be asking yourself, especially moms out there is what did you do about breastfeeding and milk and all of that? And I was a little bit nervous about that. That was another variable because I did not want to have to stop in the race to feed a baby or to pump milk. And I did have a hand pump. There's, there's like these really TMI, but where you can like hand express milk. So I had that in one of my drop bags in case things got really bad but I had done a six hour mountain bike ride where I didn't pump any milk and everything was fine. By the end of this race, things were starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, but I was able to do the race. I also had to manage my caffeine intake in the race because I didn't want to have crazy amounts of caffeine in this breast milk that I was going to pump at the finish. So I managed to get through the race without pumping, For those who are curious, that's not going to work for everybody, but that worked for me. And the test that I did again was that six hour ride. So if you're thinking about trying something like this, make sure you do some sort of test case at home. When I got to the finish line, Superdad was there. I saw Matt standing there holding Bradley and he had the stroller with Brooke in it. And it was just so cool to come across the line and see my little family standing there waiting for me.
1: It was also really fun for me to be there with the kids because again, it's such a cool event. I mean, sporting events in general, but just to have the kids see all like they have music playing and people chatting. And of course people coming through the finish line and all the excitement that people have and some people look completely shattered and destroyed and some people are smiling and laughing. And so it's just a cool thing to expose the kids to. And then of course to see your, your mother or your father come across the line is a really cool thing for the kids as well. So that was neat. And that's a little bit you know eye opening for them they don't really understand what's going on but again it's it's about that exposure piece and giving them something new to to be a part of and so that that was really cool and really fun to be a part of and also i will say that being the support crew with two little kids and trying to time how to get the two schedules of the two kids in line with when you need to be at the start line or finish line to watch person come across or leave is is like a whole race in and of itself and you'd start trying to calculate okay well if this kid sleeps this long and this one needs to eat at this time and this one gets up and then you got to change this one and if I walk this distance for this one and I can carry this one and put this one in this and so it was that was the first time I've had to do that as well so it was like a, you know stage stage two of a, of a one day stage race
0: <laughs> yeah so again racing with little kids might look glamorous but it's hard and you just do it <laughs> There's no other rhyme or reason to it. You just do it, and you just accept and roll roll the punches as they come to you. And there were more punches to come. <laughs> we had a two-day road trip home, and during that time, Bre- uh, Breast Brooke <laughs> decided that she didn't want to breastfeed anymore, and she was on a, a nursing strike. And Bradley never had any of these things happen, and I know we're comparing kids, and I don't even know if you're supposed to do that out loud. If, if you guys are listening, kids, when you're older, sorry, they're not going to listen to this. They really don't care. But... <laughs> she she decided she didn't want milk it, like to breastfeed. And I was wondering, like, did my supply drop because I didn't feed all day on that one day? Is it because of the regression? Like, What's going on? But I don't actually think that my supply dropped. I think that she just got all wigged out for some reason. But that made things even harder because she was doing the sleep regression. So you do this 100 mile amount by grace, you're traveling. She's not sleeping at night, so neither are we. So nobody's sleeping after you finish this 100 mile race. And then on top of that, it used to be that we could just give her a soother, and she would just put herself to sleep with a soother for naps and a soother or a pacifier for my American friends. She didn't want it anymore. she she stopped taking the pacifier altogether, and she was done. So that meant that it was almost impossible to get her to fall asleep. So all crack from this hundred mile race. She takes four naps a day. She'd have to like she'd be crying, and it'd just be this awful experience putting her down for every single nap and for bedtime. And crying and refusing the breast, So I was literally pumping milk for like three hours a day, every single day after the race. Like it's just been, it was a total disaster the week after the race. And it's even compounded by the fatigue. You know, it's harder whenever you're not sleeping, but also when you're extra fatigued from the race. So four-wheel drive mode, there we were after the race doing that, getting ready for our next trip, which we left one week after we got back from Bend. And that was the start of our Colorado trip. So the plan for that one initially was that we'd all travel together and we had all of our Airbnbs booked. And then Airbnb did something weird and they basically locked Matt and I's accounts and canceled all of our reservations. And we still don't know why they did that. So we had to go back and rebook all new reservations. Unfortunately, we could find things in all the places that we were going. And then a rental car for three and a half weeks, which is about the length of this trip, was $6,000. $6,000 for a rental car. That's insane. So we decided that one of us, and it it turned out to be Matt, drove to Colorado, which was a 24-hour drive. And then I, because I'm the food source, instead of being away from the kids for too long, I would be flying by myself with the two kids to Colorado. So again, four-wheel drive mode, here we go. And Matt did the drive. So what was the drive like?
1: It was interesting, I think. I haven't done a lot of 12-hour day drives, so that uh, the first day, I think, was eight hours, and and that was long, but no big deal. You kind of get through it, and you have your day. And the next day, I did 12 hours, and that crushed me, Like going an eight-hour day, then a 12-hour day. I I remember getting to the hotel, and it was, again, the town I stopped in was about 7,000 feet elevation, so maybe there was some elevation in there I'm not used to, but whatever the case may be, I get into the, the hotel along the way, and I was just done. It was... I think eight o'clock at night and I was asleep. I was just wrecked. So, and then the the next day, I think it was a six hour drive or somewhere around there. So it was actually really a lot more difficult than I thought it would be and a a little bit less enjoyable. Generally, I really like driving. I like being in the car. Um, It's a lot of fun and you can listen to podcasts and all kinds of fun things. But uh, yeah, this one was hard. There was one hard day in there for sure out of the three.
0: And then I flew a couple days later I was super nervous to fly with a two-year-old and a baby by myself (laughs) because I was outnumbered. And then Brooke was having all those breastfeeding issues. So I didn't know if that was going to be resolved or not by the time we went on our trip. So I had one of those, like whenever you get grocery deliveries, sometimes they have these reflective bags with ice in them to keep your your stuff cold. So I had milk that I had pumped in there and bottles in case I needed to feed her bottles and she wouldn't take the breast and then I had, I was way overprepared. I had these two massive carry-on bags full of everything you can imagine. I didn't have to check any luggage because Matt drove everything, so that was great. And I had a double stroller and I had to go through customs, which was this massive line. It was it was something. But long story short, it went well. And somehow both of the kids fell asleep at the same time on the plane. So I was like, sweet, I'm drinking a glass of wine. This is never gonna happen again, ever. And I got so lucky. I'm a little bit nervous about the, the travel back. <laughs> But again, just trying to be curious, trying to be flexible and also just saying, hey, if this gets really hard, there's nothing I can do about it and it's not going to last forever. So that's kind of my mindset going into traveling back to Canada while Matt drives back. So that brought us to Boulder. Matt drove there. I flew there. Matt picked us up at the airport and we stayed at an Airbnb in Boulder. And it was so great to be able to see my friends again and see people again just out in the community because I lived there for so long just to be out for a mountain bike ride and just have someone be like, hey, Sonia, like that was so cool to have that happen and to just see people again. And a lot of people are coming to Colorado right now because there's the Leadville race, there's Breck Epic, there's the Steamboat Gravel race. So there's tons of people coming through. So Casey Armstrong was randomly in town. So she and I got to go for a ride. And unfortunately she had a a pretty bad crash and and a really bad injury from that crash, but it was still really good to see her. And I got to go for a ride with Aaron Huck who went to the Olympics last year and had a baby three days after I did. So yeah, it was just really cool to reconnect with people and be part of that community again. And there's something really special, not only about Boulder, but just about the United States, because in Canada, everything's just a bit smaller and there are lots of benefits to living in Canada. And I love living there, but things just feel a little bit different culturally in the United States when it comes to community, because it's just bigger. Matt, you can probably speak more to this than me, because I'm I'm sort of a new Canadian, but you have been Canadian your whole life. Yeah, it's
1: interesting. The The differences between Canada and the U.S. are 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 small, like from a global perspective, they really aren't that big. But I think on a individual level, Americans in general are just a little bit more outgoing, and a little bit more welcoming, even than Canadians. I know, stereotypically, Canadians are so nice. And I would say, yes, they are. They're very polite and very respectful, but a little bit reserved. And Americans in general tend to be maybe more opinionated, possibly, but way more outgoing, way more likely to come up and say hi to you, and so just being in a in a community that, that has a very similar sort of value system that you do, it's highly likely you're just going to bump into people and start conversations and meet a ton of new people. That does happen in Canada as well, but it's just the volume of that happens at a greater amount in the U.S., I find.
0: Yeah, so we enjoyed our time in Boulder, and then it was time to go to Steamboat, which was going to be our first race. And initially, so the race is called the Emerald Mountain Epic, formerly the Steamboat Stinger. And initially I was signed up for the 50 mile race and Matt was signed up for the trail marathon because the mountain bike race was on Saturday, the running race was on Sunday and Matt's been doing a lot of running because the lifestyle piece um, of running and the training piece of running makes it a lot easier just to manage from a time management standpoint. So we realized that, oh, this is one week before the Breck Epic. We didn't realize that it was that close together. And right after the race, we're going to Breck, which is at 9,800 feet, which means you're not going to be recovering very quickly from a hard effort. So I was able to switch my race from the 50 mile to a 25 mile relay where I had a teammate and I split, I did one lap and my teammate did one lap. I ended up racing with an awesome woman named Shelly Peachel. She was the XTERRA age group world champion last year. She's been racing a ton this year. She and her husband, Johnny, have been traveling around in this awesome airstream doing lots of races. He's doing the lead boat this coming weekend and they're prepping for Cape Epic next year. So I was really excited to get to race with her. And she did the Telluride 100 the week before the race. So she is definitely a go-getter. And uh, I was pretty excited whenever she said that she would race with me because it's fun to have a cool teammate that you click with. And she's also from BC. So I thought that that was fun. Our team name was something that maybe people wouldn't have understood. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. I'm a little bit weird. I'm a little bit quirky. So is Matt. But I was, the first thing that popped in my mind was, it's not Snowflake. And I'll give you a hundred bucks, not really, but I'll give you a hundred bucks if you can guess what movie that's from. It's from, drum roll, Ace Ventura. <laughs> so it's when he's in the, the tank looking for Snowflake the Dolphin and this great white shark gets him and he's like dra- pulling him around in circles and he's screaming and yeah. So It's Not So Flake was funny for a lot of different reasons because we're like great white sharks, you know, going after the competition and we're both from Canada and um, Johnny and Shelly own Powder, I think it's called Powder Powder Lodge or Powder Creek Lodge, which is this amazing ski lodge in Rosland, BC. So it just was funny on lots of uh, levels, but the announcer didn't really understand what it was. And I, I can understand why most people wouldn't understand what it was, but we thought it was really funny. So we had another try at doing our day before the race ritual to see how we could prepare for the race and preparing for a 25 mile race is a lot easier than preparing for a hundred mile race or just a lot less gel flasks that you need to fill and there's no drop bags. It's just a lot easier, but it was still kind of chaotic. I managed to eat early enough because we had a full kitchen we cooked food. I got eight hours of sleep that night. So everything went really well before the race. And I was really excited. I wasn't sure how the altitude was going to go at this race because it went from like 6,000 to 8,000 feet. But we've been doing this respiratory training, which I can talk about in another episode. If you want to go way back in the archives and find this episode I recorded with Dr. Andrew Sellers, at the, I think the title is something like why training with heart rate isn't enough. But we were doing this hypoxic respiratory training and basically suffocating ourselves at short intervals to try to help us cope with higher altitude and not having as much oxygen. And I think it works. I did it before Columbia as well in 2017. Matt and I both went to this stage race called La Leyenda del Dorado that went up to 14,000 feet. And my teammate Amy, Mac- Amy McDougall and I ended up winning the race. So that was pretty cool. So I'd done the protocol before. Matt had done it before. And I think that it worked pretty well. And the race was interesting because as a duo, you had to start behind everybody. So the pro men and women doing the solo 50-mile race started... Then they had the duo men. Then they had the duo inclusive category, which is like the non-binary category. And that's amazing that they had that at that race. I know Breck Epic also has a non-binary category. So that's really cool that these races are doing that. And then as a a group, they had the duo women and the co-ed duo team start together. And there were, you know, five to 10 minutes between each wave but that meant there was going to be a lot of traffic on the course, and the Seba or the Emerald Mountain Epic is cool because there's so much single track and it's really narrow single track, and that also means there's not easy places to pass. So my strategy was to stick with the the men. Um, a lot of the men were starting first in these CoA teams, so just to stick with them as much as I could and pass where they would pass because they were locals, and we'd be riding through shoulder high grass trying to get around people and. It was hard, but I was able to push myself a lot harder than I could push myself at the hundred mile race. And I felt really proud of my effort again. And I was able to ride harder and ride faster than I thought I could. And I ended up putting out the fastest female lap time in the duo category in spite of all the traffic on the course. So it was awesome and a great time. And my teammate did great too. And we got second overall in the duo women's category. And then it was Matt's turn to get ready for his race. He was initially signed up for the marathon and then was able to switch to half marathon. And Matt was also getting over an injury. And I'm going to pass the mic off to him because I don't know if you heard me, Matt, but I was saying that kids cause injuries. <laughs> so you can talk about your kid injury.
1: Yeah, the it, it took me, oh, I don't know. I've been injured sort of on and off for the last sort of six months, but I got sort of re-injured re- my knee about six weeks out. And so... I uh, decided to switch to the the half marathon cuz I hadn't been able to put the time in but the injury is I have an uh, I used to play basketball in in university and I have an old really bad ankle injury that limits mobility and so bending over the crib to pick up the kids and do all these things because I lack mobility I end up twisting my hip and my knee in weird positions and I hadn't really noticed it and then of course running impacts or, or uh, inflames that and so over time, I, as I started to do more and more running, because it's only been about a year, then this has become a, an injury, I've been on an ongoing injury now that I have to deal with. So thank you, kids, for for breaking my knees. Um, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, I, I, I was able to get back on track and, and put some good training in and was ready to go for the, the half. And I felt as prepared as I could be. I felt like I'd done the work and I was happy about that. Uh, so race, race morning starts, Sonia and I, we all get up together, get the kids ready. Sonia gets out the door in front of me. We're about a 10 to 15 minute walk to the start line with the kids. So Sonia leaves a bit early and I'm figuring, oh, I'm going to do a bit of a respiratory warm up, get things going and I'll do a light jog down to the start line. I'll be all warmed up, ready to go there about 15 minutes early. So... I leave the house, i got my pack on. I, you know, do the night before, you fill your pack up with water, get your gels ready to go. It's so much easier when you run compared to biking. It's just like fill your pack up, get your gels, put your shoes on and off you go. So I think, so out the door I go and, you know, I'm about a block or two away from the house and I take a sip out of my so the hose from the, the pack and of course it doesn't work. So it turns out the gasket on the pack has been blown and it won't stay connected and you can't get any water out of the thing. Again, had I spent more time preparing and been thinking about the race instead of maybe thinking about kids and food and all that good stuff, I might've tried to see if the pack worked. I just figured it would always work, but for some reason it, it just didn't. So I turned around, ran back to the house to see if I could use my other pack, which is a cycling pack. It just didn't work. So now I've got like, you know, six or seven minutes to get down to where the race start is. So I'm, I ditch everything and I go, you know what? I've done a two-hour race in the heat without any food or water before not a race I should say I've, I've had lots of runs where I've ran out of water I had to struggle my way home and they weren't fun but I know I can do it so I grabbed I had a little gel flask with five gels I ditched my pack and I basically had to sprint to the start line so I get to the start line like three or four minutes before the start and everyone you know they're doing their light jogs and their little stretching and they look all you know fresh and ready to go and I get to the start line just like pouring sweat and like <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm ready. I'm warmed up and I'm ready to go. And then off I went. So I had a, I had a great race that actually I had my, my whole plan was execute a race plan because it's been my history of maybe getting a little bit too excited and, and doing all kinds of crazy things and blowing up and, and sometimes not blowing up, but a lot of times blowing up. So my plan was to actually have a race plan and execute it and see how that would go. So I did, it was basically half the race was up the hill, half the race was down the hill. So I was able to execute pacing properly on the way up, pushing on the way down with no food or water. I had, I ran out of gel. I was able to sort of eke my way through for about an hour of the two on the food. And they had these little like mini shot, they almost like shot glasses of water at the aid station. So I got three of those, you know, probably maybe six ounces of water total in two hours. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend no, no water and very little food for, for a half marathon, but all in all, I don't feel like, who knows, maybe it did impact performance. It probably did, but it didn't feel like it did. I was really proud of my effort. I was really proud of how, uh, you know, how I executed my plan. I think the overall was, result for myself was really good, but again, was. I was 27th in the male category. They had two categories, male, female, really, really, you know, specific categories, and I was 37th overall. So 37th out of, I'm not exactly sure how many racers, maybe 280 or 300 racers or something. So I was really, really pleased with that, pleased with the training that I did and pleased to put it together on race day. So it was fun.
0: And then I got the the experience of support crew and the things that Matt was alluding to during the hundred mile race. And as Matt mentioned, we were staying near close to the start, which is a theme that you might be starting to notice with our plans with traveling with kids. But I wasn't sure how long the race was going to take. And so it was like sprinting around trying to get kids fed kids, kids napped all all those different things and getting back in time. And I I actually got a shin splint because I haven't, I quit running my third trimester and I was like running back and forth, (laughs) pushing the stroller in Chaco sandals and just not used to running. (laughs) So I, uh, I wasn't sore from the the mountain bike race, but I was a little bit sore from running back and forth to the race venue in and just bad footwear. (laughs) But we were able to make it and see Matt finish and it was just really cute to see the kids and especially to see Bradley's excitement around the race. And now Bradley, he goes out and he's on the bike path. He's like, I'm running and he's making his arms move all crazy. And it's just, it's really fun. <laughs> so yeah, your kids emulate what you do. So we're we're learning that. And some of the things that he says and that he does were like, wow, I didn't even know that he was paying attention to that. So be careful of the things that you say and do. And we're also starting to figure out how to do road trips with the kids and how to plan appropriately, how to choose the right distance and the right amount of time. And like five hours, like five hours on without stopping, like on Google map, that's like the absolute maximum that our family can handle right now. And that can take anywhere from six to eight hours of actual time, usually more on the longer end of things. So the drive from Boulder to Steamboat was only a three-hour drive, which made things really easy. And then we, after the race, we drove from Steamboat to Breck, which is normally a two-hour drive. And on the way, we were able to see Yuki Ikeda, who is like a brother from another mother to me. I've known him since, like, gosh, 2005. He and I have been on the same team. We've like traveled in vans together. We've traveled the world together, like racing. And I haven't seen him since I raced in Japan. Um, gosh, that was probably in 2018. So it was really nice to connect with him again. And he is doing the Leadville 100, the Leadville 10K, and then he's running running the Leadville 100 the next weekend. So he's got his work cut out for him. So now we're in Breck and we have the six-day mountain bike stage race. Matt's doing the three-day And my parents got here yesterday, so we have some extra help. And we rode together today for the first time in over two months. (laughs) So that was lovely. Ready to go back into four-wheel drive mode. And I'm sure there's lots of things that we're going to learn along the way of how to prep for race day after day after day. And there's like a racer meeting at five o'clock every single night, so how to navigate that. And then for me, how to navigate the nutrition piece of when I'm not racing, I'm trying to eat 4,000 calories a day. How am I going to eat enough? during a, like it's hard to eat enough during the stage race when you're not breastfeeding. So how am I going to manage the calories around this and I really hope that I'm able to maintain and not blow myself up. And this is good practice because our next race after this is BC Bike Race, which is another 6-day mountain bike stage race in British Columbia in mid-September. So lots on the horizon. I'm super excited to be back racing in Breckenridge because I used to race here a lot when I lived here. The Breck Epic was the very first stage race I ever did. And I don't know the exact year it was. It was 2010 or 2011. It was my very first stage race. And I raced it as a co eduo with Jeff Kirkoff and we won the race. And then I came back in 2013, I think it was, and did the Breck Epic again as a solo. It was my first solo stage race. And I ended up winning the women's category then as well. So that was really cool. And now it's 2022 and I'm back in Breck. The last time I was here was in 2014, which was for Matt and I's wedding. We got married at 10 Mile Station. So lots of good memories here in Breck. Things look a little bit different this time around <laughs> with the kids and, and everything else. But ultimately, I'm so excited. And again, every start line is a celebration of just being able to be here, of the history that I have here, of all the work that I've put in, and just being part of a community. And that is the thing that's so special about cycling and running and just in endurance sports in general, I think, is that it's kind of small compared to other sports. And it's a real community thing. And just to be a part of something feels really good. And a lot of us spend a lot of time by ourselves working super hard, grinding away, as I mentioned before, and it just feels so good to be a part of something. So if you're doing a race and maybe you're feeling a bit nervous or, you know, intimidated. Just remember that the start line is a celebration. It's not a test of how good or bad you are. It's just a measure of who you are that day. And ultimately your attitude and, and what you put out, regardless of what you show up with, whether it's your best fitness ever, or, you know, maybe it's your worst fitness ever, but just showing up to that start line with a good attitude and trying to make the most of what you have can make that a memorable experience no matter what. And that's something that I've been racing my bike for almost 20 years. (laughs) It's crazy. But that's something that I always am reminding myself of because it is going to be different every single time you show up. That's why we do this. We do it because it's different and because we don't know what the outcome is going to be and we don't know what's going to happen and we know we're going to be different after every single finish line and it doesn't matter how many finish lines or start lines you've had. You are different every single time and that's another celebration of something that that you get to work through. So I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I know I did most of the talking and Matt had to sit there and listen to me talk, which is pretty much normal. <laughs> Four wheel drive mode for Matt's ears. Um, Matt, do you have any partying last words before I hang up the mic for the night?
1: Uh, I just want to say that having, having kids is absolutely worth it. And it's a ton of fun. And there's so much joy that you get from having one kid, two kids. I, I mean, I'm sure three and four kids is amazing, and you get that as well. It just, <laughs> But that's not on the horizon, I, I don't think, ever. And I think one of the challenges is that parents talk a lot about the challenges of kids rather than the, the – just I think take for granted that, of course, everyone knows how amazing it is to have the positives of kids. So I just wanted to to end by saying we want to be real. We want to tell you the challenges that we've had and how we've overcome them because we, we think that that might be helpful for some other people. But not losing sight of the fact that we absolutely love having both kids, and they are an absolute joy, and we're so happy that we have them. So we wouldn't trade it for anything, and we're having a lot of fun, but it's it's hard, and it's also fun at the same time.
0: There's this magazine back in the day called XXC Mag, if anyone is old school and remembers that mag. There was this shirt that they put out, and it said, Sometimes fun hurts pretty effing bad. <laughs> so that goes for racing. That comes goes for parenting sometimes. But hard isn't bad. Hard work isn't bad. I, I did a podcast once. Are you afraid of hard work? Hard means that you're doing something that's meaningful. So I'm so glad that Matt said that. And I 100% am on board and feel the same way. And if you're enjoying this podcast, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the show so that you don't miss quirky solo episodes that we occasionally put out like this. Most of our episodes are with a guest, and it's all about the cross-section of high performance and well-being. And I'm really excited about next week's guests and further guests to come. And we will be back on the mic again at some point soon. I do have one solo episode a month, and, and usually it's about a topic that I've researched that will help you along in your journey. But occasionally we like to share our own personal stories because you're not alone. Everybody goes through things. Everybody's trying to figure things out. And no matter what it looks like, we're all doing this together. So on that note, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week.